The History of Personal Computing. History of Personal Computing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the History of Personal Computing podcast. And I'm here, and I'm joined with Jeff. And we have a very hey, hey, Jeff. <laughs> we have a very special guest uh, tonight. It is evening time when we're recording. Is we are talking to Jason Timmons, and he's the organizer of the VCF, the Vintage Computer Festival Midwest in the Greater Chicago area. And Jason, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Dave. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're really glad to, to be able to talk to you. And so just looking at the calendar here and at the show notes, so what we're – actually, I'm looking at the webpage, uh, vcfmw.org. We are 15 days, 12 hours, 51 minutes, and 48, 47, 46 seconds away. Yes, I used at, that same countdown moment. timer uh, just a couple hours ago because I could not remember how far away the show was. And, and it, was soon, it was sooner than I thought. So, well, it's uh, cool. yeah, fifteen days. Yeah. Oh, it's not counting down for me. I know why. I have the uh, JavaScript, JavaScript for that turned off. Hey, your uh, there we go. Your flash is outdated. Yeah, <laughs> my flash is blocked. Like, so, like the font and the layout and the style sheets, I borrowed that from somewhere else. So you can blame them. So, Jason, this is going to be the VCF MW eleven. So, yes. um, looking at kind of the list of festivals over at uh, vcfed.org, you know, which took over for vintage.org. So it looks like sure. the very first show was in 2005. Uh, was, you'll have to do the math, but yeah, I believe be that's right. true. Uh, there were the first four were held at uh, Purdue University in Lafayette, oh, and okay. then there was a year off, and then we picked up five. So... If you are counting the shows, we are number eleven. I suppose it's the twelfth year. If you're not uh, not counting that way. So, were you always the organizer? Did you found uh, the show? Or? No, no. Somebody uh, else uh, did. Pat, uh, Pat Finnegan, who is a student and now employee of uh, Purdue University, I believe, founded it. Uh, starting with VCF Midwest One, I, I know the first four shows were held there. I attended number three and four. That's about around the the time I got involved in the hobby okay. and uh, Pat decided to uh, you know, pursue other things or take some time off and uh, we let a year lapse and I had been attending the uh, Chicago uh, Commodore convention for a few years uh, already uh, in uh, down in Lombard at our old location and I pitched it to uh, the organizers there hey you've got a second room which is unrented in this uh, office building basement where the show was held and uh, what do you say we set up here? We set up some non non Commodore stuff. You know, we won't forget you, but uh, let's set up some apples and whatever else we've got. And uh, you know, it was an experiment, and uh, that was VCF Midwest Five okay. in uh, uh, 2010, and it worked out well. And now we've kind of grown to uh, I shouldn't say dominate, but uh, we we are the larger show, and uh, uh, the Commodore Convention, uh, which we call ECCC. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, is still uh, occupies a, a large percentage of our our uh, floor space and table space, and we will never forget them. Just like I will never forget uh, the Commodores of my past. And so, always, uh, always a fan. That's where I started. 
So I'm um, I'm going to be going to this show, and of course Jeff can't make it this year. But Jeff actually went last year, and I've mm-hmm. been one other time. So I went in 2011, number six. Yeah, and so so talk to us a little bit about the old venue, so the one I went to. The, I guess that's in Lombard, right? And then mm-hmm. and then the new venue, the new hotel sure, and the, all uh, that stuff. The old venue was. Uh... I couldn't tell you the square feet off the top of my head, but uh, it was two rooms, two large rooms in the basement of a five-story office building, which uh, sat in the parking lot of a hotel, and it was managed by the hotel uh, management. And uh, I think it was maybe uh, 1,500 and 2,000 square foot, uh, the two rooms, and a little little cafeteria uh, area and some hallway space that we occupied as we grew. Uh, But uh, we realized probably three years ago that we were starting to outgrow it but it was uh it was such a deal mm-hmm. uh, both for the commodore fest uh, uh before us and for us uh, uh you really we really couldn't pass it up uh, it was a great place to be but we simply outgrew it and uh last year i decided uh you know we have to we have to take the show on the road a little bit and uh through a great deal of of hunting and uh I suppose negotiation and, and Googling, we, we settled on a Holiday Inn uh, in Elk Grove Village, which is a nearby suburb uh, for those out of town. It's uh, very close to the airport uh, and sort of a, I guess you'd say, industrial area that uh, uh, rents a little bit cheaper than your average uh, average convention hall. Uh, and uh, we went with them last year. It is one, I believe, 5,500 square foot, one large room. So Commodore and VCF are, are joined together now. They're, we, we really don't want to call them separate shows uh, anymore. They, they really haven't been for the past few years. So uh, They are now in one space, and uh, since I'm in charge of laying out the tables and uh, the table assignments, we try to keep Commodore to one side of the room and, and keep them together, but they're, every year they're merging a little bit closer and, and uh, interweaving uh, themselves together. And a lot of people have a table with Commodore and Apple and random things for sale, so... Uh, we still acknowledge them by name, but it, it is one big show, really, okay. especially as of last year. Uh, the restaurant, uh, excuse me, the, the hotel has uh, treated us very well, uh, very accommodating uh, to our type of show, and they've been really great to work with. And uh, what I almost said too soon is they have a restaurant on site, and that's a big difference. Uh, the old place you know, had restaurants that were drivable and walkable, but having one in the building keeps people in the building. And oh, and it's a great restaurant, too. Uh, yeah, it, you know, it is, it is pretty decent. It's your uh, burgers and ribs and chicken and pizzas and, and, and beer. beer. I, be- I believe there's a full <laughs> bar there, and they, they have breakfast in the morning and coffee and the whole the whole lot. But it's a, it's a good hotel restaurant. And, uh, you know, with our type of show, we, we, we have a weekend, you know, all day Saturday and, and uh, most of the day Sunday, all day and night, I should say, Saturday. It's really important to keep people on site, uh, not just – you know, in our interest, but in theirs as well, as, as you're going to miss something. Uh, our, especially this year, we have talks scheduled, uh, oh, I believe, uh, 10 a.m. Uh, straight through to dinner time both days, mm-hmm. uh, which is a first for us. Really, we've really packed up Sunday, and we'll get to the speakers in a moment, I guess. But the uh, the venue uh, has worked out well for us. Uh, I dare say that we're ready to outgrow it, too, but... Uh, I'm not really sure where to go up from here. Then, then we'll have to start renting uh, convention halls and, you know, the county fairgrounds or something. And uh, it's really important to us as not just a show, but 
a convention in the sense of the old, uh, you know, hacker conventions, uh, whatever, on a, on a much smaller scale, to have the hotel and show uh, the hotel rooms uh, that people are staying in in the same place. Uh, yeah, and I, I'm really especially looking forward to that because that that's obviously very different from um, both east and southeast here in my area. Is um, and really that makes your show kind of the closest thing that we can have to like what Kansas Fest is like, where you sort of uh, yeah you go stay at the show and then everybody. So can- Kansas is held in what a, in a hotel it, and no, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's actually held in the uh, yeah. Let Jeff um, can talk a, to it. Kansas Fest is at, uh, at a dorm. Oh, I forget the name of the uh, the school. Um, yeah, I guess the heat there either. got to me. But it, it's it's a dorm, so you have you know, unlike a hotel where you have uh, like uh, private showers and hot water, this place doesn't have hot water. <laughs> um, but it's still a fun place to hang around. The uh, uh, you know the Kansas Fest group is really an amazing group of people. It's uh, kind of just so, uh, people call it like going off to camp. It, to it is. Extent, so. It is in a way. <laughs> And it is actually a a whole week long. Yeah, yeah. So that's very different. Uh, and they too. feed you. Yeah, they feed you too. So you can't okay. argue with that. But I'm I'm really looking forward to build. You know, the, staying in the same hotel with everybody, and the shows right yeah. there, and yeah, and the restaurant, and just everybody sort of hanging out. You know. It's it's convenient, but it also it's a community aspect. It keeps you know yeah. you can assume pretty much everyone there is staying in that hotel. There's no reason to stay anywhere else. Right. Uh, it's it's about the cheapest hotel in in the area as well. So. Um, and you know it's a short trip up to someone's room if they need uh, supplies or they need a rest or, or whatever. And uh, it maxim like having a restaurant on site. It maximizes the amount of time we can spend in the actual show space or in the talks or whatever. So it, it keeping everyone close together is real nice because I, I I imagine the alternative. You know, if we were in a larger venue or or just circumstances pushed us somewhere else, you know, we'd. We'd have to close up at 5 p.m. and it's like, okay, everyone right. just take off now and we'll do a dinner and all that. And I've been to uh, Coco Fest, uh, which was actually held in, and it still is held actually in our uh, old Lombard Hotel. And, uh, you know, that's how they operate and that's fine. But uh, the all night party, all weekend party aspect of it is, is real important to us. Like I said, it's, uh, I, I've attended DEF CON since, uh, wow, the mid 90s and, and, that's the spirit I'm going for, if not the scale. I, I don't think we'll ever have 200,000 people or whatever, but whatever they get, I don't know. They're in the tens of thousands anyway, man. Well, it sounds like for, that the show has been growing, too. So has it steadily been growing, I guess? Bigger numbers? Yeah, you know, be, be, because we don't do admission and we don't do ticketing, it's kind of hard to tell. So I can judge it by how quickly did my uh, tables get reserved, you know, for, for demos and so on. And uh, I can say very quickly. Uh, and we have some overflow space that uh, you know people who want to set up a, an impromptu display on the day of the show will will be able to use. But uh, uh, the main hall is packed, and then some. I'm only on the grace of uh, our exhibitors have we been able to fit everyone in. You know, people oh. giving up uh, giving up a table to make room for others, and and so on. So uh, yeah, and that, I had a half a half a circular table to sell some of my wares. Yeah. My we got rid of those. Uh, we got rid of those round ones. They weren't very popular. But they're, they're going to be in the side rooms, and we'll put the uh, the free pile in there and the overflow. And so we're we're all rectangles in the in the main hall. The uh, hotel is actually having to borrow uh, some tables from another venue to to accommodate us. So we appreciate that at no extra cost, I should say. Uh, but it's uh, in, in that respect, it's growing and. Uh, 
you know, uh, eyeballing the number of people that come through, the buzz uh, and all that, and the T-shirt sales. Uh, we printed, uh, I believe it was 145 shirts last year in order to get the volume discount. And uh, except for the really odd sizes, which I'm not going to print again, uh, we did sell them all. And uh, majority of them, you know, the ones in the common sizes are gone Saturday afternoon. So oh, yeah. if you're interested. Way, yeah, put one aside for me, would you? <laughs> okay, you can, you can tell me your size offline if you okay. want to. Um, yeah, or or you know, uh, catch us Friday night. Uh, I'll still have them in the car, and we start dealing out the shirts then. And uh, uh, every year we we hone the shirt printing uh, totals a little bit more based on the previous year's sales. But I printed some, uh, I don't know, uh, size M ladies sizes last year because people requested them, and now now I'm stuck with them. So um, if you know any uh, any slim ladies that want to. A VCF shirt from last year, then uh, I could cut a real good deal. But, I'll probably buy one for my daughter, who won't be coming, but she'd love to have the shirt. We we yeah, we printed them for kids too, and because uh, one year we had all these requests for kids sizes, yeah. and this year we didn't. So I guess that's marketing, right? That's, that's how it works out. But uh, for the most part, uh, they they do well, and they're a pretty good gauge of of the attendance. I seriously doubt in previous years if I could have sold a uh, hundred and whatever thirty some shirts. We were printing in the 70s and 80s before that, so uh, that's that's a good thing. That's a good thing for us. So uh, if someone uh, you know uh, from the media or something asks me what's your attendance, I'll say we get 200 or so people pass through for the weekend. You know, and that's and that's not bad for a hobby yeah. like this. That's not bad. <laughs> well, one thing you mentioned that also makes uh, your show unique, I guess, compared to every other show I know of, like this, is um, it's free. So that yeah. is totally unique. So you actually do like you have some fundraisers going on, right? And, we uh, we do the um, the crowdsourcing thing. You know, there's just nothing more than a PayPal link on the website, and uh, that has a history that predates me. Uh, uh, Jason Compton, who began organizing the Commodore show that we that we joined up with, uh, there's sort of a tradition he started. Uh, Back then, it was a lot easier to pull that off to have a community-funded or really organizer-funded show when uh, the bills were a lot lower for the, the space in Lombard we had and the square footage was a lot lower. Uh, but last year, we decided to see, okay, let's see if we can maintain that tradition when our costs have, uh, oh, wow, at least tripled, uh, you know, moving to the new venue last year. And uh, I should say the community came through and, and then some. It's uh, That's good uh, all. Donations, uh, you know, the organizers kicked in uh, their share, and then we had our auction last year, which was uh, another experiment, and that ended up uh, being a pretty decent fundraiser for the show. So, we will be repeating that uh, less experimentally, more planned, more uh, uh, pre-announced. I think it was a surprise last year because we weren't sure if we were actually going to do it, but uh, we are announcing the auction. So, if there's uh, donations, anyone uh, has any old hardware, software. Uh, not even old doesn't even have to be retro to something that someone might pay a dollar for uh, okay. or better uh, maybe leave it with us uh, we'll be probably at this point organizing that out of one of the side rooms we're not quite sure yet we uh, got to work out the logistics there and you have that free room too right yes the the infamous free pile uh, will be I believe in the same location it was last year which is one of the side rooms for those not familiar with the venue there's one uh, main hall of about 5500 square feet and three, uh, I should say two attached, one uh, other side room across the hall that are, I don't know, 900 square feet or something. 
uh, each, and uh, we utilize them for various things. One will hold the uh, talks, the presentations. One will be extra tabling space because we have that many exhibitors this year and vendors. And uh, one will hold uh, most, well, it'll be overflow and it'll be the free pile. And the free pile is another tradition that predates me as it comes from the Commodore guys. Uh, And it is exactly what it sounds like. It's a big pile of stuff. Uh, You're free to leave anything you want there uh, and be prepared to take it home with you Sunday afternoon because neither I and especially the hotel staff want to, uh, to deal with. Oh, so you can put something, you can put something in there, but then if someone doesn't take it, then you have to take it back. Yeah, it should go away. In the early days with uh, the Commodore show and with our show, uh, there were always dot matrix printers left over because everyone, uh, <laughs> the, the age of the laser uh, was was well upon us, and the and the dot matrix. Yeah, there were dot matrix printers left over at Kansas Fest too. Yeah, uh, but they'll come and, back uh, next year. No one really wants them, you know. There's there's always an exception. There are printer collectors out there, believe it or not. But, but they make such wonderful music if you configure them properly. I, I have a number of them, but I don't I don't want any more. So um, and you know, chances are the ones there are broken too. But one year, I think early early on. Uh, the stuff was just left, and the hotel staff had to deal with it. And I think they uh, they tried to build a show for dumpstering them or something. So uh, there are many, 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 many things that will not disappear from the free pile. The the dot matrix printer is the classic example. But uh, somebody took the console radio that was brought in last year. Yeah, I, I think a, almost everything disappeared. We we have uh, some scrappers among us who are. I took uh, the mechanical calculator. I love that, that thing. That was mine. That was mine. Yeah, that was uh, my donation. I even stole. Uh, there was like a ribbon from some other thing, a two color ribbon. Just I just rewound the ribbon, and it, it works great. It, you know, it, awesome. it's, it's a decoration now. That was in my garage for a few years, and I said, okay, that can, that can go. But um, This year, uh, since you know we are asking for auction donations, I suppose we'd ask if there's something halfway decent that you're about to put in the free pile, consider putting it in the auction pile, and uh, you know maybe we'll get a dollar out of it. But uh, certainly either one is, uh, is appropriate. And that supports yeah. the show, the auction. Absolutely, yeah. That's, uh, that is uh, entirely to the show uh, books, the show accounting. And um, we did did fairly well with it last year, but but more than that, it was a lot of fun. And it was more fun than than I expected. I I discovered I'm a halfway decent auctioneer. And um, I think it was the most attended of all the all the talks, and I hate to say that about all the other presentations because we have had had and have a lot of great ones. But uh, we packed the house for the auction. Uh, we did it. Uh, it was like 4 p.m. or something uh, last year, 5 p.m. something like that. And then we had another one late at night around 11:30 because we had that much stuff left over. And I'd be willing to bet we will this year as well. Uh, but it's uh, it was just fun for everyone. I got a lot of a lot of comments over it and. Uh, a well-run auction, whether ours is or not, but a well-run auction is is fast-paced and pretty exciting for everyone. And there's, you know, there's a, a whole lot of things that got single bids and went home with someone for a dollar, and that's just fine. But there's a number of them that had some real contention on the bidding, so uh, we had fun with it. And uh, hey, I enjoyed it. Well, I know I'll have a few things to to hand you that for the auction, but let me ask you then. So say someone like myself, so I'm not an exhibitor but I'm coming to the show and I have some things I want to sell. Do I have options? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. There's, Is there there's like a consignment? Be, uh, well, we do not do consignment. No, all, okay. all, uh, all vendors are, you know, they're on their own, uh, their own accord, uh, vend, <laughs> vend as you will. We really, you know, it's been suggested. It's been considered. I know some other shows do it. Uh, 
among other reasons, it's just too much to manage. You know, yeah. I, you have to have someone I do full-time. almost run the show. You know, I run the show almost all myself. And there's a couple people I want to credit in, the, in a moment because that's that's becoming less true every year. But um, I, I'm not there's no way I have the time or anyone around me is going to volunteer to hover over everyone's uh, uh, vendor table and, okay. and collect a, a portion of it or segregate them. Uh, we don't have the space to put them strictly in their own area. So um, what we don't have at all is space. So if if you do happen to have a truckload of stuff, as, as happens every year, and they come by and say, hey, I'd like to sell, uh, I believe there will be ample round tables set up in the free pile room uh, and perhaps also in the other overflow room, the other side room, uh, where you're welcome to just plop everything on a table. Some of the best stuff I've ever seen sold at our show. and <laughs> Shows up some like of it, that? Oh, sure, yeah. It's a, there's just you know people we don't know. And, there, and it surprises us every year. There's people who... Um, it shouldn't surprise us that people haven't heard of the hobby. It surprises us that there's people who haven't, who are interested in it and still haven't heard of it. You know, yeah. we assume if you haven't heard of it by now, you're probably not into this. But that's not true. I I, I do a lot of Craigslist uh, purchases and and buying things locally off of eBay, and I tell people about the show I organize. And uh, you know, I bought an old calculator from a guy, a calculator from the early '70s, and he was retired. It was his, you know, from back in back in those days. And he said, I just had no idea that anyone cared about this stuff anymore. And it's, it's amazing how often I hear that. Uh, so you'll have people who, you know, word of mouth or maybe an electronics forum or something not quite in our hobby, but on the, you know, video games, something like that that's on the peripheral. And, and uh, they'll hear about it and, well, you know, I've got a basement full of stuff. Let's throw it in the car. And we give them a table and it all disappears, you know, in a couple hours Saturday afternoon. They're going home with a lot of cash. They're very happy. And, uh, you know, we see them next year. And uh, some of the best stuff that I've taken home personally <laughs> from the show has come. I think you've people. cornered the I got a basement full of stuff market. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, some some have been to the house. And uh, uh, I, I'm happy to say I've made some arrangements this year for some of that to leave. There are oh, people okay. coming to the show to come get my stuff. And I'm very happy about that. But, uh, yeah, no doubt something will come home. I can't resist the free pile myself. And uh, one of the benefits of being the guy who runs the show is you get the first look. Yeah. Uh, at all stuff coming in, at least if they come in Friday. If you come in Saturday, there's a chance I'll never even see you because it's crazy all day, you know. So um, that's why we've got, I, sh- I say every year, uh, I've got more people volunteering. And, and uh, this year is going to be a huge help. Jim Leonard, uh, also known as Trickster, he did the amazing uh, 8088 demo display last year. He's one of the few people in this hobby who concentrates on the IBM PC. That that oh, cool. has the has the credentials to do it. You know, uh, it is, this isn't you know the Pentium three uh, with a Doom display or whatever. He is a bona fide you know x eighty six hacker, and uh, you know he's in the demo scene for for decades, and he's a software uh, librarian now. But uh, he has volunteered this year instead of putting on the display to be our uh, audio visual nerd, uh, and he's. Uh, uh, has a very nice camera and a mic set up, and he is going to mind the speakers and make sure that, unlike last year, we have top quality video of all of the presentations. Right. And uh, you know, he's, he's a semi-pro uh, uh, in, in the video editing department, so he'll chop all that stuff up and get it onto YouTube. Last year, we tried to live stream uh, both between equipment failure and software failure on our own part and the hotel's somewhat pathetic bandwidth it just was not working out, and uh, 
we tried you know a dual stream of uh, you know save it to the hard drive while we're while we're live streaming and about a third of those at best uh, came out listenable watchable and they're on YouTube but the rest of it was lost so and that's that's a real shame and this year we've got some really amazing speakers so uh, we're gonna make sure we get all that stuff in in amazing vivid 1080p uh, 60 frame per second video with an actual microphone on the person speaking so you don't hear the room echo and the the hard drive noise and all that stuff it's are, uh, are you gonna try to we're 4k now <laughs> yeah well you know if you want to see the dimples yeah. and not on and youtube its face yeah are you gonna try um, to yeah, stream too or just just record it now uh we're we're gonna skip the stream entirely okay. we were uh i was just down at the hotel doing some measuring and somehow their bandwidth has gotten lower i i couldn't get anything more than a I think two megabit upstream, and I swear it was more last year. So huh. two megabits, and then throw in a hundred nerds, every one of them on a laptop and stuff. There's no way we could stream reliably. Oh yeah, uh, you know I think we had three people even trying to watch it last year. So uh, we're we're better off concentrating on the quality recordings, and they can be on YouTube and share with the world that way, and they can watch at their leisure. So when you set up like the the table arrangements and all that, do you? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you said, I guess you're trying to keep the Commodore people sort of, you know, together as much as possible in the in the sense of the Commodore show. Like, do you um, do you put vendors like try to keep them together, or are vendors mixed um, with just exhibitors? And can people are people selling from the exhibiting tables too and stuff like that? Uh, typically, the latter. Again, you know, we don't have the space, especially in the old venue. But even now, we don't have the space to say this is vendor corner, mm-hmm. and we just have so many people who are exhibiting. Uh, X, Y, and Z, and then selling either their product, uh, like, you know, Jim Brain with his Commodore gadgets, and he's branching out into the Coco world now, so he's, there's <laughs> no stopping Jim Brain. Uh, there's the uh, uh, S1, or the uh, ELF, RCA Cosmac ELF kit people are displaying, you know, here's the authentic original machine from the 70s, here's the kits we build. We wouldn't dream, you know, it would make no sense to, to actually yeah. split them up. Right. Um, the one, the closest we're getting to that this year is just due to space. We have the people I call the large-scale vendors, the ones that typically take three or four tables or more. Uh, there's no way we could put them in the main hall. It just was not going to happen this year. Uh, those were all those round ones last year, those round tables that were, you know, somewhat unpopular. Uh, so I hear uh, they will be mostly in one of the side rooms, uh, well, the larger of the two side rooms. So I'm calling that the large-scale vendor and other stuff. <laughs> and large-scale vendor and people who contacted me in the month of August. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I think I got my first table reservations in, like, March, you know, so it, and it trickled in through the year. And, and uh, then uh, I think I got one yesterday, or an attempt for one, and I said, well, you know, the best we can do, we will have space somewhere in the hotel uh, I can't guarantee, you know, maximum visibility or or whatever, but set up. You know, you're welcome to set up, and uh, it will be worth what you pay for it, or perhaps more. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do, do you have a question, Jeff? No, actually, I've been uh, looking at some of the pictures uh, of last year's, trying to remember everything that was there. I'm wondering if the guy is going to bring that Vic Twenty driven K9 uh, robot. I have not heard from him. He is one of the Shybots guys, Chicago Robotics. So I've, I think I'm on their Facebook group, and I should drop him a note. Uh, that was pretty popular, I think. Yeah, it's like it? he built that thing, but then he lost all his plans for it. Hmm. Uh, so it, it just runs for him right now. 
I'm sure it can be reverse engineered, but I think he said he lost all his plans for it. Well, uh, I, I he had designed it a so, long time ago. I saw I mean, it's not a new robot. Around, driving around the show, and then kids were riding on it or taking pictures sitting on it. So anything that people can touch and the kids like, that's, that's always very popular. I have not heard from him, but that is a good reminder to visit their Facebook page and drop him a note because a couple of the Shybots guys uh, are regular attendees. So we'll see if we can scare him up again. That was a fun, fun exhibit. So tell us a little bit about the speakers. Yeah, we are uh, we are packed. Looks good. Wow. Uh, yeah, I just had to bring up the schedule myself to to remind myself. Um, I met uh, Bill Hurd, uh, who is ex uh, of Commodore, engineer, mm-hmm. designer of my favorite Commodore, the Commodore One Twenty Eight. Uh, I met him out at uh, at your show out in Atlanta earlier in the year, and he is type. You know, I believe he has a podcast or a YouTube show or both, and, a, and an active blog. And he's the type of guy that you can just set him, wind him up, set him running, and he can talk for an hour. <laughs> yeah, and, and he loves these uh, shows because he's gone to East, too. A, yeah, a yeah, number of times regular at East, I think. Uh, but he can talk about really interesting stuff for, for an hour, and he has had a very interesting life, not just in Commodore, but, but afterwards, both in engineering and the other pursuits. Uh, I, I think he was an EMT for a while, or maybe perhaps still is. And he's got, uh, believe me, he's got a lot of stories he told over dinner <laughs> about that. But he'll probably confine uh, uh, to the Commodore and engineering topics. But he's got 90 minutes on Saturday afternoon, I believe at 1.30. Right. And yeah. uh, he'll have an audiovisual presentation. And I've asked Jim Brain to bring out some of the weird and freaky Commodores that uh, never made it to market that, that Bill was involved in. Uh, you know, Bill can't fly with these things. So, uh, Jim will uh, will be a, a friend and bring them out so people can gawk at the, uh, I think it's the Commodore 264, and there was a 164, and there were some other odd ones uh, that Bill was involved in. But, uh, yeah, he's he's gives a great presentation, and uh, I believe he will do a honed and uh, more audiovisual accented version of his talk at Southeast. Uh, so that'll be a lot of fun. And, you know, he'll hang around the show. And uh, all I had to tell him, I think, is, hey, we are the biggest concentration of Commodore fans around. Uh, someone is going to fact check me on that, but I think we are. There's us, there's Toronto, and there's uh, uh, the Las Vegas Festival. But, hey, we're a full weekend of Commodore fun. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he'll have... He'll I, have I know, I enjoyed it. It was nice seeing all the Commodore stuff there. Oh, yeah. And there will be just as much as there's always been. Um, the Toronto people will be out. Uh, I think we're going to lack... Portland representation this year. The Portland, Oregon guys aren't making it. They've always been there, but it's um, definitely Commodore heavy. And that you know, that's my my roots, my background from 1982. I think I got my Vic 20. Oh, uh, okay. So yours is almost as old as mine. I got mine in October 81. Still wow. have it too. I do not. Yeah, I believe it was traded for something, but I uh, I think I have the Vic modem that got me in this, trouble from an early age. But. Mine has the old pet keys. Nice, nice. Has that distinctive um, sound to it. Someone signed up. I think one of the displays a, a silver label Vic, one of the early pet keyboarded Vics. I'm, I'm not sure if that's going to be there or not. Uh, we are going to have. Is is silver label the early one? Well, it, it's kind of like a goldish label. It's like black on one side, but then I guess it is kind of silver. I may be thinking of the 64. Maybe the early ones had a so. On the 64 note, though, that someone has procured what is believed to be the earliest production serial numbered Commodore 64. So that will be there at the show for everyone to gawk at and inspect and Google the serial number and and look at the, uh, you know, compare the keyboard to the newer ones and everything. 
I, uh, I've got a lot of Commodore stuff. I, I've never made an effort to collect early, early examples of anything. So that'll, that'll be cool. As I understand it, it's significantly different than the later production models. So I suppose it'll be there under glass or something, and uh, everyone can ooh and ah at it. Um, we've got uh, some of our regulars. Glenn Holmer, he's a, a Commodore hacker, specializes in the Geo's uh, program, which was the early uh, GUI uh, Mac-like thing for the uh, for the six, uh, 64 and 128. Uh, something I spent a lot of time with in high school, uh, trying trying to make produce output as nice as the Macs did. But uh, uh, he's uh, discovered some new aspects to some obscure programming languages in the, in the Commodore world, and I think he's writing uh, utilities in them now because he's retired and he can do those kind of things. Is that the guy uh, who does the has the Promol stuff? Yeah, he is doing Promol Revisited this year. Yeah, so. he bought my Promol books. Okay. I acquired them um, a few years back, and I, I, I didn't know what to do with them. <laughs> it's like, Promol and, and Comol floppies recently that I imaged for him, and I don't know. It's always exciting when you come up with something that may Yeah, they were tough to image. Of. I tried imaging them once for him, and they didn't work. So I brought them. I brought. I had two sets of Promol. I brought one to the show, and he bought it from me. Right. So he has done further research and is actually writing utilities for uh, later Commodore hardware in the Promol language. So that's that, that's cool. So he's it's an you know, excellent he's, language. It's very powerful, but uh, he presents every year. I mean, he's again a, a fixture that predates us. So he'll be talking at eleven on Saturday. Uh, Evan Wright's a local uh, school teacher who gave a a talk last year on education and uh, you know teaching assembly language and education. And apparently he's gotten into Coco, uh, Radio Shack Coco 2 cartridge development. So he'll be talking about that probably in the context of kids and stuff. Uh, Jim Brain, uh, everyone knows Jim Brain in the Commodore world, but outside it, he's uh, probably your, your top Commodore hacker, uh, hardware hacker, and gadget maker. Uh, he'll be presenting, uh, I don't know actually, he'll probably be presenting his latest cool toys. He's branching out into Coco world, uh, cloning some of the... Coco hardware that you can't get uh, anymore, uh, inventing storage solutions uh, for Coco, as well as some new stuff for Commodore. Hmm. Uh, of course, we'll have Bill Hurd again. Uh, Jack Rubin is a local friend, and uh, he's our resident graybeard and digital uh, mini-computer hacker. And he will be doing a, another version of his uh, panel on the PDP-8 uh, and 11 mini-computers that he did last year. He is also our uh, recruiter of excellent speakers and foreign guests. And uh, he had uh, uh, an Australian and uh, I believe a Swiss uh, guy from Switzerland and Sweden oh, yeah. last year. Oscar is the... Uh, Oscar... Uh, uh, yeah, from Vermeulen. Vermeulen. Yeah. Vermeulen. He uh, makes the completely awesome uh, PiDP-8 kit, which is a faithful, smaller-scale reproduction of the PDP-8 front panel with the lights and the switches uh, hooked to the GPIO pins of a Raspberry Pi running a PDP-8 emulator and you run your 8 and it blinks the lights and you can flip your switches exactly on a real 8. Well, he, he Oscar cannot make it himself uh, this year, but he is uh, developing the PiDP11, mm -hmm. which is the PDP11 version of the same thing. And uh, Jörg Hoppe from Germany will be bringing that out to demo. Wow. Uh, That'd be cool. Along with uh, Jörg's own work, I believe, uh, I have to look up on the PDP-15. Uh, so it'll be PDP panels everywhere you look. And uh, uh, Jörg and uh, Mark Matlock, I believe, who is from Illinois, and Jack will give a panel on the latest developments in the minicomputer world. And uh, Jack talked me into to doing 90 minutes of that. So we'll we'll see how they fill that. I, I think there'll be a lot of I'll Q, make sure Q and A. The, I'll on. make sure to bring my 
Heidi P8. I'm uh, I'm still waiting on mine. Jack uh, was going to build mine for me. Um, it was my wedding gift, believe it or not. I don't know how my wife felt about that, but uh, uh, it's uh, it's coming. I, I've been told it's coming soon. So we'll. Uh, yeah, I bought my we'll Kim see. one clone from last year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then we're going to uh, follow up with the auction. Uh, that's going to be at four thirty in the afternoon on Saturday. I'm giving myself an uh, hour and a half at least for that. And then everyone breaks for dinner, and uh, then we'll be doing a video event at night. Yeah, you're able to tell is, yet? Uh, able to tell I us? Honestly, I honestly don't know. Breaking news. Come uh, on, break it right you, here. You know what it is because you've seen it and showed it. I have? <laughs> but uh, I believe it is. It, it is Bill Hurd's narration uh, of the film, the, uh, Raising the 8-Bit Generation. Oh. And Bill uh, is... Was had to get permission for us to show it. I believe that permission has been obtained. Uh, but if it isn't, then you won't see it. But it will be playing uh, in the evening. We figure around eight o'clock in the talks room, uh, and it's uh, it's pretty cool. I got to see only part of it at your show out at, at Atlanta at Southeast mm-hmm. because the show was going on <laughs> at yeah, the time. Right. So we figured we'd show it at night. Uh, maybe we'll even rig up a screen in the main hall or something. I don't know. We'll have to figure that out. But failing that, we'll do it in the talks room, which is about a. 900 square foot room so plenty plenty of room to hang out in there uh the next day sunday is where we change the pace a little bit sunday was always our uh you know if you didn't get in on time on saturday i guess we can fit you sunday uh sort of thing talks now we're just filling the whole day and uh thanks partially to jack rubin of, of the pdps he's um brought in a couple interesting speakers uh, whom I'm not familiar with directly, uh, but I trust Jack's uh, judgment. Uh, And it's Academic Sunday here (laughs) at UCF Midwest. Uh, We've got uh, Thomas High, who uh, collaborated on research and I believe a book on the ENIAC. I know, Uh, I've heard that name. Yeah, there's no ENIAC uh, left intact anywhere. There's bits of them here and there. But I believe he... Uh, did a little uh, little archaeology and and uh, into the past on the actual creation and, and the people who did it, and he's going to give a presentation, and I believe he'll have his book available. Uh, Dr. Christine Finn is from the UK, and uh, uh, trust me, I think these people were just going to be in Chicago anyway. I, I hope they're not coming out just for us, but if they are, <laughs> I'm honored. Um, she will be. Uh, she also did a book, uh, Archaeology of Silicon Valley, and I assume that is a, a digital. Uh, archaeology, but uh, perhaps not. I think it's a, a look at the culture that built Silicon Valley and the early companies, uh, so I'm guessing starting in the, uh, the 1970s, uh, that built what we have today. So I actually uh, met hoping- her in the, at the very okay. first Vintage Computer Festival East. So oh, I-, I know that she was a friend of uh, Salem, Ishmael, um, she might have done a new version be, or something. It maybe. behooves me to find a copy of the book. I know Jack has it, so I uh, ought to take a, a look at it quickly and be prepared. But uh, she'll be speaking uh, uh, for an hour on uh, Sunday, I believe at 2 o'clock. Uh, we have uh, David Schmuda, who is uh, uh, another academic type that contacted me, and he's done some really interesting stuff on Jack Tramiel, uh, the you know, uh, founder of Commodore, or Commodore Computers. And... Um, his angle is uh, how Commodore revolutionized, you know, the home computing market. There, they remain the biggest selling computer ever. The Commodore sixty four was, and uh, you know, Jack, he was all about putting hands in or uh, computers rather into the hands of uh, 
the middle classes and, and everyone, really. Uh, I can't remember what the 64 sold for originally, but it was one of the more affordable and usable machines. Uh, so I've uh, taken a brief look at his webpage and a couple video clips of his presentations. Uh, but that should be very interesting. He's another guy from out of town that says, hey, I'm going to be in Chicago and offer to speak at the show, and we're happy to have it. And then there's this guy that uh, is uh, going to open the day Sunday at 10, uh, talking about great movement moments on film. Oh, yeah, I can't, I can't wait for that one. That sounds really good. It's uh, the, guy, <laughs> the guy, I don't know, you know, I don't know how he is as a speaker. Uh, he's got some kind of podcast or something, but um, yeah, I heard gonna, that he was just going to be in town anyway, so that's why he's yeah. <laughs> gracing you. <laughs> you know, when when visiting the Sears Tower and uh, the Navy Pier and so on, you might stop by uh, VCF. But no, of course that is you, David, and you're going to open up Sunday at 10 a.m. Yeah, that's exciting. Uh, why don't you tell me about this? Here, are you going to are you going to be doing? Film clips is—is is this like the starring the computer website, but uh, oh, in motion? Uh, it, what's it going to be? Sort of a little bit. So basically, and it's a talk I, I've I've done before, but not to any massive audience or anything. So plenty of people have never seen it, and I have updated it and such. So basically, it'll open up with just a little teeny bit about me. I usually like to give a little primer about sort of the basic general history of computers. And so really, it's like the second half, then I get into the great moments on film. And and actually, some of it's documentary film, are, so, you know, real stuff. And then um, and then the other half of that part of it, it's it's actually uh, fictional, but kind of computer history fictionally in movies. So fun okay. stuff. So, so it's, do you, it's do you edutain- have clips from uh, uh, Three Days of the Condor? <laughs> no. Because there's, there's no, a PDP-8. Uh, prominently featured in that film with uh, Robert Redford, and it's it considered one of the early hacker movies because he gets into a a Bell Central office and does a little magic with the phones in there. So you see some some CO equipment, and there's a PDP eight in there somewhere. I'm glad so. you said that because I don't think I've ever seen the film, though I've heard of it. And yeah. maybe just maybe I might be able to get a clip and and uh, and it's fr- a it's a relatively slow paced '70s spy movie, but it's it's pretty cool. You know, Robert Redford it was a high budget thing. But uh, that's before I really, really even knew what a PDP-8 was. I knew there was a weird orange and black and cool yellow computer in this in this spy movie, and it had blinking lights on it. So, you know. And Jason gets the finder's fee for that too. But <laughs> oh, okay, sure. But I've got plenty of like real, you know, educational stuff and good fun, good fun stuff. So it's okay. a, it's a good talk. I think it's it's great. Good. I just I don't want to leave out the last uh, yeah. the last presenter. Oh yeah, please. I, since I went and mentioned them all, uh, a man by the name of Bill Custis, he's uh, contacted me recently, and he's done some work on these early, I guess you'd call them toy computers, toy mechanical computers, and they were, I want to say from the 1960s, and they were intended to teach basic uh, number theory and what a binary number was, and mm-hmm. the one that I have heard of is called the Digicomp, right? and it's a little mechanical thing, and uh, apparently there were four toys of this series and he has uh collected three of them so he'll have them there and i believe he has some uh materials for sale uh, i don't know if it's a clone of the digicomp i believe there's a there's a book involved or a, a something like that in his research into it so uh he'll be there at noon on sunday and of course he'll have a table too he's one of the guys we had to put in the side room because he came in late but uh 
definitely win in VCF. Do not forget the two attached rooms. They're they're hard to miss. They're, they they are directly accessible from the main hall, and there's a map on the website in the FAQ section. So and you see people walking in and out of them, so you get curious yeah. and go. Yeah, uh, yeah, we'll we'll do our best to put big signs up there and say, hey, there's more show in here because I I hate to short the people who had to be in there, but if we didn't do that, we don't have a show. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. We could we could use another two thousand square feet in the main hall, but uh, uh, find me that venue that we, where we can pull this off, and we'll do it next year. But, well, isn't uh, there like the moment, a, isn't there like a stadium in Chicago or something? Yeah, well, you know, it's, from here it's, <laughs> it's 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 McCormick Place right after this. You know, another uh, one and a half million square feet where they do the Chicago Auto Show, and yeah, uh, we only need a corner of that, and I, I think it's uh, you know a few hundred thousand a day or something. So well, we're I'm, gonna hit that pay hit that PayPal. Do you have any final questions, Jeff? I know we need to wrap it up. No, I, uh, uh, Jason went through the the itinerary, the schedule quite well. Yeah, you did a good job. Yeah, anything? Oh, to I add? did actually, actually have one question. Oh, okay. Um, did you ever do anything with that uh, K Pro stuff that I sent you? The the, the uh, when I archived the the hard drive on that. K-Pro. Oh, yeah. The, the uh, see, uh, Jeff brings up a good uh, good point here. When you when you buy a computer from someone and it has something that's potentially. Uh, what about thirty years old on the hard drive? Do yeah. your best to image that hard drive. You never know what software. Software is as important, if not more so, than hardware. I mean, it could have been a blank installation of CPM and and nothing. I think it was owned by a lawyer. Uh, yeah, some of the forms that were in there looked like they had legal layouts. You're refreshing my memory, uh, and you and you kind of get to the flip side of the statement I just made. When you find someone's old legal documents, you know, make make those go away. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that's that's just an ethical part of collecting. Because, I need uh, the space anyway. Yeah, right. I don't know how many computers I've taken home from people, and they're like, "Man, you know, I I've got my accounting data on there. Yes, it's twenty years old, but uh, you know." And I've had people say, "No, I have to keep this machine until I until I figure out how to first resurrect it." And then format the hard drive, and like, well, <laughs> yep. we can take a hammer to the hard drive, except it is as valuable, if not more so, than the machine itself. So uh, maybe we shouldn't well, do that. And, MFM drives—they're expensive. Yeah, and if it's actually working and has the operating system for the machine on it, but uh, yeah, that's just an ethical part of, of collecting is to make sure you destroy that data. And uh, you know, if it's a K Pro, uh, do a fresh CPM install. But. Uh, uh, I, I believe I peaked briefly, and yes, there were very old legal documents or letters on it, and uh, you know, no, no, no matter looking, any, no sense looking any further at that. Uh, it's the software we're after, you know. And uh, there's stuff every day, you know, whether it's discs that uh, can't be read anymore because the the oxide's falling off, or they got wet or moldy, or or some hard drive somewhere got sent to the uh, shredder in a corporation. Uh, the software on it is gone. It's gone forever. So, software will die, I think, before this this old hardware does. And there's always emulation for hardware, almost always. <laughs> Over the years, I've gotten so many machines from different people, and it's had all kinds of private stuff on there that have been oh, yeah. gone and deleted for them. Well, I don't know how many thousands of floppies I have in the basement, but I'm sure some of it contains someone's data. But you know, will, will the mold get to it first? Well, we'll see. Yeah, I've had that happen already. So, all right, we're going to wrap it up. And so, Jason, thanks so much again for being on. And uh, everyone, uh, so when you start, when you hear this recording uh, tomorrow, we're looking at just about two weeks before the show. So, really, there's plenty of time to make travel arrangements to, to get out there. It's in yes. Elk Grove Village, Illinois, uh, Saturday and Sunday, September 10th and 11th. And if you just go to vcfmw.org. 
and find out more. And I should interject that if you are flying into beautiful O'Hare Airport, there is a free shuttle that will take you to the hotel. Oh, so how about no, that? no worries. It accommodates the traveler and will take your family who are not interested in computers within five minutes of the hotel, including beautiful Woodfield Mall in Chambrig, Illinois. Uh, currently, I think the eighth largest mall in America. Wow. We used to, when I was a kid, we were number one. But uh, the free shuttle will take you. Uh, uh, within a five-mile radius of the hotel. So if many people who attend are bringing the wife, the kids, both, and uh, they want no part of the show, so uh, you can send them off to, to Woodfield for a day of shopping and, and uh, good food and stuff and hang out with us. Cool. Fun for everybody. Well, thanks Absolutely. again. Look forward to seeing you. Two weeks. And we will see you in two weeks. Okay. Okay.